The Cultured Meat Symposium is back in San Francisco on October 28th and 29th, 2022. This year, the theme of the event is creativity and commerce. Learn more and register at www.cms2022.com. Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show. On this episode, we're excited to have Elizabeth Alfano. Elizabeth Alfano is the CEO of VegTech Invest, the advisor to the VegTech plant-based innovation and climate ETF. The VegTech ETF has created a completely new impact asset class, plant-based innovation and alternative in the capital markets. Elizabeth is a plant-based industry expert and speaks globally on the intersection of sustainability and our global food supply system, including recently at the UN Global Leaders Compact Summit. She is the CEO of Plant Powered Consulting and has advised multinationals and C-suite executives on the industry landscape, direction, and white spaces. Finally, Elizabeth hosts the Plant-Based Business Hour, which features the CEOs and thought leaders in the industry. The Plant-Based Business Hour is considered the gold standard for those who want to understand, participate in, and capitalize on this secular trend. Elizabeth is a wealth of knowledge, and I was thrilled to chat with her. Let's jump right in. Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show. We're super excited to have Elizabeth Alfano on the show. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Elizabeth, I am most familiar with the podcast that you run, but tell us a little bit about your background. Yes, sure. So I host the Plant-Based Business Hour, um, and I also run Plant-Powered Consulting. And in helping brands large and small, so I work with a lot of multinational companies and as well as smaller brands, I get to see the white spaces in the marketplace. And coming from a business background, business school, working for Fortune 500 companies, running several companies myself, Uh, all before I went plant-based. Once I went plant-based, I decided I was only going to use my skill set to further that. And so through my consulting, I see the white spaces in the marketplace. And um, I decided to launch the world's first and only plant-based innovation ETF. We're listed on the New York Stock Exchange and we are publicly traded. That's exciting. And I wanted to ask you, what was the kind of moment where you did pivot to (sighs) plant-based? Oh, gosh, that is um, a a great story. So my earliest memory as a kid, so I want to say like five or six years old, I could not chew meat. And I, of course, couldn't tell you why. I couldn't tell you about factory farms. I didn't know any of this. I didn't like the muscle. I didn't like the gristle. I didn't like the fat. It was wrong in so many ways. And, you know, I'm a kid, so I'm not holding back. So, you know, I'm spitting things up and I'm, you know, like, don't make me eat this. You know, I'm really like, I'm being a five-year-old. And my folks were like, oh my gosh, how spoiled of you. You know, you have to sit at this table and you are going to eat that meat if it's the last thing you do. Well, I wasn't faking, so I really couldn't do it. So I would sit at the table by myself for hours and the family would be gone. They'd be watching TV together, laughing, having a great time. And I wasn't allowed to move. So then I started, you know, and by the way, I love my folks. My folks love me back. So, you know, there's no problem. Uh, But then I started hiding meat all over the place in my pants pockets underneath the table. I dig out the, the garbage. I put the meat in and then I put all the garbage back, you know, all these things. And so, you know, eventually they caught me for lying and then they really punished me. So they sent me to my room and I was grounded and couldn't leave. And again, everyone, you know, together in the living room doing things and I I wouldn't be able to join in. And so fast forward, I'm an adult in my late 20s, early 30s. 
I definitely have my own voice at this point, or at least I'm forming one. And I would say, you know, oh gosh, do, do we have to get pepperoni on the pizza? You know, because now we all know about factory farming and I know we all know. Uh, do we really need pepperoni? Oh, you tree hugger. You know, I mean, I think today we'd call it bullying, you know, just making fun of me. I think to make their, I'm not sure why, because I'm not sure what's so like, I, I don't, I still don't understand to this day, but um, I was disparaged for bringing it up. And so I would sort of stay quiet and just order pasta with tomato sauce on the side and not really talk about it anymore. Meanwhile, fast forward, at this point, I'm way into my 40s, still trying to figure out like, how the heck can I be vegan? Like, I'm still trying to figure this out. My nephew comes back from the University of Oregon, which has a division one football team, and he's playing for the team. And he comes back first semester back from college, sits down at the Thanksgiving table and says, oh yeah, coach says, if I'm gonna play for the team, no meat, no dairy. And I was like, what the, what the flip? I've been waiting for a parent authority type figure to give me permission for what I knew was right all along. And I had squashed my own voice. I was so mad. I was vegan mid-sentence and I have not shut up since. Amazing. And it's it's funny because you, you kind of look back and there are doctors that are saying that you cannot survive on a vegan diet, which is absurd, right? And so now we, we have this great example that you just gave that it's not only kind of like the cool thing or the healthy thing to do, it's the sophisticated thing to do right now. And gosh, how times have changed. Mm, my word. But they have changed. And yet at the same time, so I'm never complacent about the mission, the, the messaging, the facts. Um, because, you know, in the 70s, now I wasn't really, I mean, I, I'm 55, so I was born in 67. So, I mean, I was around in the 70s, but I wasn't really taking like note of politics of the moment uh, when I was, you know, under 10 years old. But, you know, there, veganism or, you know, not eating meat and dairy has had its waves and it's never really stuck. Now, I do think it's going to stick this time around because the planet can't support itself if we continue to be wasteful and um, unsustainable and non-eco-friendly and wasting things like land, water, things we need to live on. So the planet won't sustain it if we continue in our sort of wasteful ways. That's not a moral judgment. That's just a numbers, bottom line, cost of goods sold kind of response. So I think think it's going to stick this time, but you never really know. So um, I think the messaging has been around for a while, but now what's the expression? Um, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. I think we're there. It's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I, I haven't thought too much about this wave cycle, but you're definitely right. And, and I think, well, at least I hope that now it's not only the time for it to stay, but for the time to really kind of be there for a radical shift where, you know, even now where you do see some doctors advocating for a vegan diet, not all doctors are. Not everyone, of course, is, is vegan. But that kind of leads us to the great work that you're doing. In addition to the podcast, I'm excited to chat about the ETF. Maybe first we could talk about the podcast. When did you get into podcasting? Yes. So uh, public speaking has always come naturally to me. And in my other jobs, I was always doing a lot of public speaking. 
And then, as I say, when I went plant-based, I just decided like, well, I'm only going to use my skill sets for, for veganism, plant going plant-based because I had, you know, squashed my voice for so long decades. So, um, public speaking was one of the things that I had. And I, of course, had business skills as well, having worked for so many Fortune 500 companies, running my own business school, et cetera. But I didn't have an immediate business in. So I just started with my journalism schools, public speaking skills, and um, running the plant-based business hour. And there aren't that many of us, if I can say that, I don't know, um, who really have done deep dives into the plant-based business sector. And I wanted to, it really came out of COVID because I was so frustrated that we were all not going to be able to leave our house houses now because of zoonotic animal born pandemics. And you know, how many pandemics have we had, right? We've had um, mad cow disease, Asian bird flu, African swine fever, AIDS, Ebola, coronavirus, like, wow, gosh, this isn't new. And we kind of saw this coming. So at least if you're an epidemiologist, you did. So I was frustrated that people still weren't getting the memo. And I thought, well, they're going to have to understand that there's more than Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. If you're really talking about shifting the global food supply system, which we are, and we can talk about that with the ETF, you're talking about, you know, putting together an efficiently run system that lowers greenhouse gas emissions and capably feeds the world. That means you're you're not using animal agriculture because it's too wasteful for the bottom line. So I thought, I really need to get this message out to people. And that's how I started the Plant-Based Business Hour. Cool. And when we're talking about ETFs and just shift, kind of shifting topics again, maybe first, can you tell the audience what an ETF is in general <laughs> for those that might not have experience with investing? Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. So an ETF is oversimplifying things, but just to give everyone the umbrella idea, it is a basket of companies that are together, usually along a theme. So Prior to our launching the world's first plant-based ETF, the public market, so let's say Wall Street, was like, okay, I guess there's a Beyond Meat stock over there, and maybe there's an Oatly stock over there, but they didn't see our sector as a viable investment sector. Like you could invest in this as as an entire sector and get returns from the growth of that sector. And I think we all think, probably all your listeners on this great podcast, think that um, this is a trend that's growing either for food security reasons, we need to be smarter about our food supply and how we produce it. For climate reasons, we can't deforest the way we are. We can't continue to produce greenhouse gases the way we do through our food supply system, um, as well as general health for the planet, for humans, for animals, as well as mitigating pandemics. And you see, you've got a lot bringing down healthcare costs. You see, you've got so many reasons. So whatever that reason is, or maybe it's all those reasons together, um, we see this entire sector growing. But Wall Street didn't, and Wall Street didn't even know there was a sector. They thought it was just like an odd, fun, my teenage daughter likes plant-based burgers kind of thing, flash in the pan. So that's why we wanted to start this ETF is because we wanted to, one, come out with a product where people who wanted to invest with their dollars, and as somebody whose voice was kept for them for decades, I can tell you that when you align your dollars with your values and you couple that with your voice, you are incredibly powerful. So for those people who want to make sure they're putting their money 
next to what they believe in, they can one-stop shop. You know, you get that diversified portfolio when you're getting into an ETF. And ours is a diversified portfolio of 42 companies globally that are working on plant-based innovation that's innovating with plants to replace animals for sustainable consumption. Great. And so those 42 companies, are those companies themselves publicly traded? Yeah, uh-huh. 100%. They have to be. Yep, 100%. And so people always say to me like, well, where the heck did you find 42 companies? Because they also only know of Oatly and, and Beyond Meat. And it's because my uh, business partner and I, Dr. Sasha Goodman, hails from Stanford. I pulled him away to crunch the numbers with me. Um, we take a step back we look at the global supply chain. So, you know, Beyond Meat Burger doesn't just pop up, right? It's got to get its ingredients from somewhere. It's got to work on innovation technology research. It's, um, you know, a lot of things happen before it ends up on the shelf. So when you look at the global supply chain, so what we're looking at are things like at the very beginning of the supply chain, like the vertical farms and the greenhouses that grow more vegetables, get more vegetables to people um, closer in, in, you know, local vicinities. Um, those in, in innovation and technology companies that are working on fermented proteins and cultivated meat. Yes, cultivated meat is a plant-based innovation. I'll get right back to that. Um, but really those novel technologies that are they're licensing out to companies so that they can create animal-free products. Then you move up the supply chain to those ingredient companies working on, you know, novel ingredients like chickpea and mung bean. You know, if we're going to have more plant-based products, we have to have more plant-based ingredients in them. Then even further up the supply chain, you're seeing flavor, texture companies, you know, those companies like Givaudan, multinational company out of Switzerland, working on really bettering that taste and texture profile um, for these plant-based companies. And then all the way at the end of the supply chain, you have those plant-based companies that are making the burgers and, um, you know, sausages and, and other things. Um, we also, at the end of the supply chain, we have those material companies because it's not just animals in the food supply chain. It's animals in the material supply chain. I mean, animals are inefficient conversion rate, rate changers, if you will. So just, you know, it's much easier to create products by just not having them in the middle of the equation. So that, that, um, applies to the material sector as well. So I'll give you an example of like elf makeup. You know, a lot of makeup, believe it or not, has animal oils in it. So you think, oh, yuck, I'm putting that on my face. So elf is very dedicated to replacing animal oils with plant-based oils. And that's an, uh, an example of a materials company. So you look at the world that way from that lens, and we were able to put together 42 companies that are innovating with plants to replace animals. That's exciting. And ETFs are kind of, I guess I've seen this a more popular alternative to mutual funds. And if you, if you are listening, it's available now to invest in. And so, you know, you can go to your favorite or your preferred broker in the Bay Area. A lot of people are using Robinhood and the ticker is EATV. That's E-A-T-V. Now, Elizabeth, you mentioned something super exciting. Uh, we're going to be in New York next week for future food tech but I believe you'll be ringing the bell. Is that right? 
Ah, my gosh. Well, so we're working on that right now. Um, we're all going to New York, my whole team and, you know, investors. And we just were throwing a party at the New York Stock Exchange. So we're so very excited about it. And they don't really tell you if you have the bell until like 24 hours before. So believe it or not, we are on pins and needles for the bell. We don't know if we are ringing it yet. Um, so we did launch last December. So we have a track record already and we've been in market. But when you're an ETF, um, which is more popular than mutual funds, as as you say, just because it's more nimble, it's easier to get it on Robinhood, the costs are less, all the stuff. And by the way, it's not just Robinhood, it's Fidelity, Schwab, E-Trade, Pershing, um, Robinhood. Yeah, so lots of places you can get it. But um, we won't know until the last minute if we have that bell. But either way, we are throwing a big party at the New York Stock Exchange. I love it. That's exciting. And so when we look at some of the different projects that you're working on, you have the podcast, the ETF, and you are also working as a consultant. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So before I started the ETF, which is the VegTech Plant-Based Innovation and Climate ETF, ticker ETV, before I started that, you know, I was doing the podcast and just companies, large and small, would come to me and say, gosh, you know, can you help my C-suite understand why this is a major trend and we should invest in it? Or gosh, could you help me with my marketing deck? Or can you help me hone in on my communication messaging? So I was doing a lot of um, marketing consulting and general trends analysis for multinational companies. Before I started the ETF, my time is a little bit um, in demand at the moment. So I'm not doing as much consulting, but I am still doing it because I, I have just that deep dive, just like you do, Alex, you know, that deep dive in the industry knowledge about where things are going and why where the innovation is taking place and how to now differentiate yourself. There's the marketing um, in a, a, I won't say a crowded marketplace. I mean, we still have what about 1% of the meat market is plant-based meat. So you got 99% more to take over, you know, so we got a ways to go. So, but it is becoming more and more crowded and certainly points of differentiation need to be made. You mentioned cultivated meat, something we definitely talk about a lot on this show, but I wanted to kind of just ask and open up the question, you know, what are some trends that you've seen, whether it's cultivated meat or other in this plant-based ecosystem that are most interesting to you? I see a bunch of things. I first of all see that, where do I start? Gosh, so many things. Okay, I'll start with cultivated meat because you brought it up, although it's probably like should be the end of this conversation, but I'll start at the beginning and the end. Uh, first of all, the, the reason cultivated meat gets into our um, Eat V ETF portfolio, one of 42 companies, is because you're, we're talking about innovating with plants and plant-derived ingredients to create animal-free products. So cultivated meat, also like precision fermentation, biomass fermentation, needs sugar waters to grow and from there um, replace the analog. So um, the sugar being a plant-derived ingredient, again, we're looking, the key here is we're really looking for that replacement of the animal product. So that's how cultivated meat gets in there. And I used to see cultivated meat as the death of animal agriculture. I no longer do. I see cultivated meat as the natural progression. It's like you used to have a rotary dial phone. You still talk on the phone, that's not going away, but now you have an iPhone and, and you'd never go back. When you get that kind of efficiency and all those consumer benefits, why would you ever go back? So I don't see it as like the death of, but the natural replacement to a system that is in incredibly wasteful and inefficient 
And the market hates inefficiency. Business people hate inefficiency. They hate to waste money. They hate to lose money. So I see this efficient way of now making meat when we do get to market with it as really just the natural progression of, of keeping meat actually. It's just the natural progression. So I think cultivated meat, definitely everyone is betting on that as the major game changer, but we're a ways out, right? From market that notwithstanding um, good meat from Eat Just in Singapore, you know, that's, we're really talking about very, very minor quantities there. So I'm waiting for that to get to market. In the shorter term, I see fermented proteins and um, biomass uh, proteins, biofermentation, biomass fermentation of proteins, um, really taking over from here. Um, probably if you talk to people like six months ago, they'd be like plant-based chicken, plant-based seafood. But I really see fermented proteins as really taking center stage. We're going to run into the same trouble though, that we did with plant-based and that is not enough manufacturing capacity. So I, I, I hope we're going to see some investment into the infrastructure of the supply chain, the bioreactors, the factories, you know, getting the, you know, if you have a factory, you have to have somebody running the factory. That person has to have knowledge of fermented proteins and not something everybody does. So, you know, there's developing this talent pool, these kinds of things. I, I, I know we are not short on innovators and ideas. We're short on infrastructure. So I see that being a thing. I think alt materials are kind of where alt protein was five, six, seven years ago. So I think we're going to see a lot coming out in, you know, plant-based wool and this kind of thing. I'm really looking forward to that. And then from a marketing standpoint, I just see now we get to finally have messaging. So it used to be like, here's my product. I'm plant-based. And that was enough. Uh, But that just doesn't work now. Are you plant-based for moms who are trying to bring their kids up? Are you plant-based because you're older and you want to be healthy? Are you plant-based because you're millennial and you're looking at the planet? You know, are you not thinking about any of this, but you're just thinking like, oh, I'll kind of watch my, my waistline and I'll, you know, pull back from meat two or three times a week. So these are all different people motivated by different things. And that, that messaging that really it's the time of the plant-based brand, not just the plant-based sector, but it's the plant-based brand. I think now is a, a good time to transition to really the, the question or the topic of communication and really the importance of communication and education. And so, you know, there's all these great benefits to living a plant-based lifestyle. And as you mentioned, it's also good for business. But can you tell us a little bit about why it's important to really have resources to communicate the benefits, maybe communicate the science, and maybe going beyond just the podcast, but any type of communication in this field? Oh, gosh. Um, Right. That sort of falls under the marketing umbrella of um, now you're trying to carve out which market you're going to take and how do you speak directly to them. Maybe even before we get, you know, for plant-based, we're ready for that. We segment the market and we go directly for those people that we want to reach. But for something like cultivated meat and precision fermentation or biomass fermentation, people need to understand what it is. Now, true, how do we communicate with the consumer something as mind-boggling as like cheese without the cow, milk without the cow, ice cream without the cow? The flip side is I firmly believe when you have taste, 
And you will with cultivated meat and fermented proteins because it's like, particularly if you're looking at like brave robot ice cream, that's ice cream. That's not a coconut replacement that you're, you know, it's sweet. And so everybody loves sugar. So how can you not love it? But you know, it's not really ice cream. No, that's the thing. It's like, it is the thing, but without all that waste, without all that suffering, without all that time, without, I mean, just you're circumventing the middleman, which means your cost of goods sold is less. And who doesn't want that as soon as you scale the technology? So I think that, um, when you have products like that, that easily replace and are potentially deflationary. So again, as you scale that technology, you have fewer inputs, which means costs you less to make it, which means you can bring down the price. People are pretty simple. I don't know that they care so much about the story if the price is lower, which is the rationale why there are so many subsidies in the in the meat and dairy industry. You know, they're just trying to get them on price. So if you can get that price down, and you've nailed taste, I think the story the story of like what is it? You know, ice cream without the cow almost becomes secondary. I don't want to say that we shouldn't be educating and we shouldn't be talking about it, and I think there are definitely ways to do that. Um, but equally, I'd be working on getting that price down and scaling up that technology. Does that make sense? I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here. And, Please. and I, I myself am a huge fan of Brave Robot and really everything Perfect Day. But I, I want to play devil's advocate and ask, we have a lot of great plant-based ice creams, for example, ice creams out there already. Why go the precision fermentation route when the plant-based versions are already so good? I love this question and I love the answer because consumers want, expect, and deserve options. I, you know, when people ask me, oh my God, you're vegan, what do you eat? And I think like, oh, sweet molasses, look at your limited choice that you have as a meat eater. Like when I was, you know, back in the day, not vegan, like I had the same ham and cheese sandwich all the time. Um, you know, I mean, I couldn't eat a steak, but things that were really minimalistic that I could barely taste, you know, my folks fed them to me all the time. It would always be like ham and cheese sandwich, ham and cheese sandwich. Never did I know about sweet potatoes, eggplant, you know, asparagus, you know, all these things that I now cook with. And I'm like, Ooh, this is a different dish. This is a different dish. This is a different. I have all this variety now because I have this huge plant kingdom. So when I think about what the consumer is used to, they're used to having lots of options. And so I think they should. And some people will want plant-based burgers that taste like a bean burger. Some will want them that taste plant-based burgers that taste like meat. Some will want them to have hybrid cultivated fat in them so that they really practically are meat, but they've got a better nutritional profile. I think this will all be out there. I mean, you look at the cereal aisle and you're like, oh my God, how am I ever going to decide? You look at the chip aisle. How will I ever know? You look at the bread aisle. I'm not talking about like the boulangerie stuff, but the you know, bread in a plastic bag, that aisle just goes on forever. And it's because consumers want, expect, and should have choice. I love that answer. And I think it's so true. I want to kind of shift back to investing because as we were talking, it, it reminded me of something I, I actually see quite often on Reddit, right? So the Reddit discussion boards, especially when it comes to cultured meat, everyone, or not everyone, but oftentimes you'll see somebody posting specifically, how do I invest in upside foods? Now, we're not going to talk about investing in upside foods here, but the answers usually are options that you know you can invest in. And there's usually kind of two different options that people usually mention, I guess three now, 
We have Cult, Cult Food Science out of Canada. We have Meat Tech 3D and we have Agronomics. And I mention that because now I think that anytime somebody asks that question, we can say, well, have you looked at EatV? Have you looked at this ETF? And I want to mention that, but I also want to ask Meat Tech 3D. Is that part of the 42 companies? Is that something that may be part of the 42 companies? Any thoughts on Meat Tech 3D? 100% love them. They're in our fund. So is agronomics. Um, and cult was in our fund, but we do have a rule that you have to be of a certain size to get in. And so they were in, and then the market, of course, has been awful. The whole world has fallen off a cliff. It's certainly not our sector. It's the whole world. You probably have noticed if you've picked up a newspaper. So, you know, the world has fallen off a cliff. So we know that cult will be back. They're just... Um, They've shrunk a little bit as many things have sh shrunk now in this market. So they'll be back and we love them. So, uh, yeah, we definitely have all of those. Cultivated meat is 100% in the plant-based innovation fund because they're using sugar and sugar waters to grow their mediums or as mediums to grow their, their cells and products. So uh, 100%, I, I love them. And I'll say it's one of the main reasons that we – started the ETF is that people are asking, where do we invest? And we wanted to, one, drive capital to those companies that are innovating to replace animals for sustainable consumption. We wanted to get the messaging out to Wall Street like, dude, this is an investable sector. You understand alt energy. Well, guess what? There's alt proteins. It's a whole sector. It's viable. It's efficient and it's disruptive and it's coming. And if you lament that you did not get in early on the cell phone, here's your chance to ride this mega trend because we are talking about the shift of the global food supply system up and down the supply chain. There's a lot of room for money making and growth. I'm not promising anyone anything here. Of course, you all have to decide for yourselves what you invest in. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to promise returns, but obviously we know what mega trends do. You know, if you got in early on semiconductors as part of the computer boom, you're probably really happy with that move. Same with iPhones. So we see the shift of the global food supply system as a, as a big mega trend. So we wanted to inform Wall Street of that, also allow, and this is really key, who's driving our sector? I don't go to Kentucky Fried Chicken drive through to get Beyond Nuggets. I, I'm not the target demographic. The person who's really growing our sector is 24, 25, 38. They are not reg um, um, investors that have the uh, where. I mean, maybe they have the wherewithal, but you know, you have you have to be an accredited investor. You have to have a certain amount of money and can prove it before you're allowed to go into venture investing. And then to go into venture investing in a smart way, you have to do that in 20, 30 companies, and you usually can't get in for less than fifty thousand each time. That's a lot of money particularly for, you know, if you're just starting out and you're 28. So we wanted to give, give individuals who are the ones actually responsible for the growth of the sector, the ability to partake in the sector and be a part of its, you know, financial growth, et, et cetera. So, you know, when you think of the stock market, you go on Robinhood, like you were talking about, you can do $25, you can do $3, you know? I mean, most people don't. Most people do 100 shares or what have you or, you know, and, the more they go up in age, they, they do 300 shares, 500 shares, or, you know, maybe they're managing money for their entire family and then they do 500,000 shares, you know, it really, it runs the gamut. But the point is there's no barrier to entry and invest, 
in venture investing, like let's say upside foods, there's a, a barrier to investing. Um, now with the ones that you mentioned, these are all funds on the public markets, but very hard to access them. Cult is out of Canada, agronomics out of the UK and um, Meetech 3D out of Israel. So we've taken that work out of it. We are publicly traded in the US, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, so you don't have any of those fees to go through the Israeli market. I know, because I tried to do it, it was super hard. Uh, so we've already done that through the ETF. So that does make it super easy, one-stop shopping, you know. and then in, in addition to those three, you've got 39 other companies. So we tried to take the, the trickiness out of it so that that person who, thank you, thank you, is responsible for the growth of our sector can actually be a player in the growth of our sector. Quick disclaimer, this podcast includes forward-looking statements. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, I, I love it. And so I, I want to circle back to future food tech. So future food tech is taking place next week, June 21st and 22nd. What are you most excited to see at future food tech, the alternative protein edition? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I love this summit. It happens three times a year, different cities around the globe, actually. And I go every time. I just, I love it. And I learn so much and I meet so many people. Um, now, at this point, I've been so many times, you know, many of the folks, I'll just say, are colleagues and friends. But still, I'm always meeting new people. And I just, it's a knowledge drop, pure and simple. So I, and I'm grateful to the conference for helping so many entrepreneurs you know, move through challenging times or making challenging decisions, whatever growth stage their company's in. So it serves me, but it also serves the entrepreneur. Um, I mean, I, I'm very excited that they've brought alternative proteins to New York City, uh, which is why we're throwing our big party at the New York Stock Exchange at, during the same time frame. Um, and I'm I'm grateful for sort of their deep technical dive, even though I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm. It's interesting that it seems like this summit, as compared to others, is a bit more of a technical dive. Which so I'm like curious to see how that shakes out. But really, I think the bottom line is I'm just so happy to see all these people who, like me, share this enormous desire to move the needle for people, the planet, and animals. Absolutely. And tickets are still available. You could attend in person, but there's also virtual options. That's at www.futurefoodtechprotein.com for the New York edition. And we'll put those details in the show notes. Elizabeth, thank you so much. As we wrap up, I really wanted to ask you if you have any last insights for our listeners today. I don't know if it is an insight. I think I'll just repeat what I said before, which is when you align your dollars with your values and you couple that with your voice, and that voice can be simple. It doesn't have to be standing on a street corner. It can be like, you know, hey, I took my dollars and I put them here and I did it for this reason. Thought I'd tell you peeps on social media, you know, whatever. Your voice can be as fun as you want it to be. It doesn't have to be a protest sign. But when you make that kind of conservative effort, you really do move the needle. And so I'm grateful to anybody listening who sees the value in that and, and wants that to be part of how they move through the world. Um, because, you know, a body in motion stays in motion. And every little step forward that we make today, big ramifications later. So I'm grateful to you, Alex, for having me on and for talking to so many of us about this subject and for bringing um, all of us along with you. Elizabeth, thank you so much. And thanks for being on the show. Sure was fun. See you in New York. 
See you in New York. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. This program was produced by H Media. See you soon.